Man, it's good to see you all here this morning. I'm so, so glad that you are here. Uh, we do have a team leaving this Friday morning, and we would covet your prayers and support. Um, anxious to get there and get some get on the ground, see what God has, not just for this, this upcoming trip, but for the summer, for those of you who will be going to, this, to the Philippines this summer. Uh, a couple things I want to give you just by way of announcement real quick. We've got a lot going on as we transition from 17 to 18, a lot of transitions happening with staff and transitions happening with remodel and new construction. Uh, so first of all, for those of you who've been anticipating and waiting for construction to start, we got our permit this past Friday afternoon. So... Yes, and if you don't know what we're talking about, um, we've, been, we've been working on this since October. Um, the permit is for us to remodel our previous admin and student building, which is just down the hallway here, to convert that to kids' space. Um, that space will be for nursery downstairs and toddlers upstairs. And so um, that project needs to start and come to completion before we can start our new construction, which will hopefully follow um, closely after that, again, depending on the permitting and replatting and financing process. That's our plan. We are excited about what God is doing. We love seeing this place packed out, but let's be honest, there's not a whole lot of room to invite more people, right? And so we are excited about how God is creating more space for us to invite more people to be a part of the work he's doing. Um, And so I wanted to give you that overview. Let me give you just kind of an overview of where we're going this year with the sermon series. So uh, the first three weeks of this year, including today, uh, we'll be working through our vision. So our vision is this, to make disciples for Jesus through gathering in growing together in, and living the mission in our everyday lives. And so over the course of the next three weeks, we'll be answering the question, why worship, why community, why mission? Today, focus specifically on worship. Um, After that, though, I'm super excited. We're going to roll back into our one-year refresh for All In. If you don't know what that is, just stay tuned. More is coming. Um, Those of you who were here last year, be very similar, except we're not adding all the extra things to the calendar. So community groups will stay on the same rhythm. Sunday mornings will be the same rhythm. The only extra thing we're adding is the Friday night before this starts, I think it's January 26th, we're just going to do a night of worship and prayer to bathe not just the series of All In and prayer, but really this journey and where we're going together. And we're going to worship God together and pray, asking him for guidance um, once again. And so that's coming up. Uh, But then after that, we're going to do a sermon series entitled The Gospel Story. I'm going to take us through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. This won't be a verse-by-verse, which is typically how we go through the Bible. Um, What we're going to look at together is how God, through multiple authors, uh, multiple generations, multiple um, continents, wove together one gospel story through your Bible and hopefully give you some tools in which to better read God's Word. And so we'll do that one, the gospel story. Um, We'll work through the Psalms, some of the Psalms in the summer, And then in the fall, we'll come back and make it incredibly applicable, and we're going to do a series entitled The Gospel in Real Life. And every Sunday, we're going to take on uh, different different topics. Um, For example, the gospel in marriage, how the gospel applies to marriage. We'll do one Sunday, the gospel in parenting, uh, the gospel in my workplace, the gospel in leadership. And we'll work through a series of, of different facets of life and talk about how the gospel impacts each one of these Facets, and then we'll end the year once again with an Advent uh, series, the four Sundays before Christmas. And so there's the overview of the year. There's where we're going. Uh, today is worship. Second Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, if you don't have one and you want to follow along, we put them under the seats around you. So uh, feel free to dig one of those out and, and turn to Second Corinthians 3. We'll have these on the screen as well. 
I'm going to give you a little context because we're mainly going to focus on verse 18 today. So a little bit of context of where we're going. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, what Paul is primarily doing is he's talking about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or think of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what he's doing, he's comparing the glory of, of each to one another. And here's what he says. He says, you know, the Old Testament has glory. So what was the Old Testament, the Old Covenant? The Old Covenant was obey and you will be received. Obey and you will live. Disobey and you will be rejected or disobey and you will die. That was the Old Covenant. That's the, the theme of the Old Testament. But Jesus says, I've come to open up a new way, a new covenant. We just celebrated that through communion. And what Paul says is that the new covenant, this, this new testament has glory. The gospel has glory. As a matter of fact, it has more glory than the old one. And it's not that the, the Old Testament doesn't have glory and the, the law of God doesn't have glory. The problem is it doesn't have enough glory to save us. It doesn't have enough glory to change us. So the law of God has glory in it, but not enough to help us obey it. But this new covenant that we have in Christ has more glory and so much more glory that it's almost like the Old Testament or the Old Covenant doesn't have any glory at all. And that's what Paul's working through in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, that explains why a lot of us gravitate towards the New Testament, right? Because it's this beautiful proclamation, the good news of Jesus. Now, when Paul gets to the end of 2 Corinthians 3, he says something that I think is incredibly important for us to hear in verse 18. Let's look at verse 18 together. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now let me just start by making this applicable to everybody in this room, I would assume. Okay, Whether you're a New Year's resolution person or not, just by show of hands, are you a New Year's resolution person? Where are optimists in the room? There's a few of us, okay? Where are the pessimists at, right? Why make them if you're just going to break them, right? Okay. But most of us, when we approach a new year, we take some inventory. We survey the land. We think about the year behind us and what we would like to be different in the new year. And really, what New Year's resolutions are, they're, the, they're, they're us acknowledging the fact that we need to and we desire to be different, Right, whether it's a gym membership, I'm going to work out X number of days a week. What you're saying is, I want to be different this year. Right? Or it's, I'm going to read the Bible through this year. You're saying, I want to do something different. I want to be different this year. And so ultimately, what New Year's resolutions are, are this reflection that we know we need to change. Right? We need to be more consistent or more faithful or more kind, more compassionate. Right? All, almost all New Year's resolutions could be summed up in saying this. I know I need to be different, and I want to be different. But the problem is, unless something changes inside of me, what's going to happen with those New Year's resolutions? Most, most of us have already begun to break them. And we start by making excuses, right? Well, this was just a busy week, and kids are getting back to school. We we're just not in the routine yet. Next, next week, right? And then what happens next week when the routine still doesn't work, and then we just begin to put our resolutions off and get back to life as usual. And so what Paul's talking about here in verse 18, though, is not behaving differently or creating new habits or New, Year, new Year's resolutions. He's talking about being transformed. That's, that's different, isn't it? 
changing on the inside in such a way that I'm actually a new person or a different person. Let's talk through some of what Paul has, has said here. First of all, he said, we all with unveiled face. That's a reference to the Old Testament. See, we, we said earlier, the Old Testament had glory in it. That's why when Moses came down from the mountain, he had to veil his face because there was glory there. Right? And so what, what Paul is saying that now in Christ, though, the veil has been removed. God is unveiling himself to us, and we all get to have that mountaintop experience that Moses had. We all get to behold the glory of God now in Christ. And so now we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Now think about that. The same image. What does that mean? He's talking about the image of Christ. You, whether you're a male or female, young or old, no matter what your New Year's resolutions are, you're being transformed. You're being conformed into the image of Christ if you're a Christian. And so am I. So we're all being conformed into the same image. Now think about that as it relates to your New Year's resolutions. Most of our New Year's resolutions have to do with being more committed or faithful, right? And, and Jesus himself is the epitome of commitment and faithfulness. Like when he gets a gym membership and says, I'm going to work out 365 days a year, he's going to work out 365 days a year, right? Like when Jesus takes on whole 30, that's no big deal because he's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So he, he's faithful and he commits and he completes it. So what we're saying is, I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more committed, more faithful, more kind, more compassionate, more giving, more generous. I want to be more like Christ. And Paul says every person here who is a Christian is actually being transformed into the image of Christ. But he says a couple of things that I think are remarkable to note. First of all, from one degree of glory to another. What Paul is saying is, Christ's follower, this is a process. It is not an event. You don't just become like Jesus the moment you are saved. You enter into a process from one degree to another. And then finally, and I would say most importantly, we begin to ask the question, well, how do I get that? I want to be transformed. Right? Anybody? Is there some area if you want to be different? How do I get that? How do I, how do I be different? And he says that our transformation comes from beholding the glory of the Lord. That's how real life change happens. That's how transformation happens in our lives. Now, in order to fully understand then what he means by being transformed by beholding the glory of God, we've got to define some things. I think the glory of God is, is one of those things we need to define. We need to understand what that is if we're going to behold it, right? So, but to understand what the glory of God is, we've got to first understand what holiness is. So we're going to answer the question first, what is holiness? The word holy means to be set apart, okay, at just a boiled down root level. When we call God holy, we're saying he's different from us, right? Thank God he's different from us. He's set apart. But more specifically, when we talk about God being holy and we talk about him being set apart, we're talking about his infinite attributes. For example, his infinite character. God's not just loving. He's infinitely loving. right? He's not just kind and patient towards us. He's infinitely kind and patient. God isn't just just. Occasionally, he's always infinitely just. So part of the idea of him being holy is that he's, he, he has infinite character. But in addition to that, what we're talking about is his infinite beauty. 
Now, this is a harder one to define because as people, um, the definition of beauty varies from person to person, from culture to culture, right? From generation to generation, from, from ethnicity to ethnicity, what people call beautiful varies a little bit. But what we can agree on is what? That there, that there is beauty to behold. Even if what looks beautiful to you is slightly different from what looks beautiful to me, there is such a thing as beauty. And what the Bible says is God is the definition of what beauty is. Whether you're beholding architecture or antiquity or um, a, a person, what you're, what, ultimately what you're beholding is the creativity of God. Right? He and he alone is ultimately infinitely beautiful. And anything else we call beautiful here on earth is just a pale reflection of that. And then finally, his value. He has infinite value. Think about that. There are a lot of things in your life that have value. Some things in your life that have value that shouldn't. There are things in your life that don't have as much value as they should. But first and foremost, God should be the place of highest value in your life. My boys mean the world to me. Love, 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 spending time with my boys. But, but my value for my boys, according to the scripture, must be slightly underneath the value of my wife. If I ever begin to love them more than her, I will fail miserably in my marriage and therefore fail my boys miserably as a dad. But guess what? My love and my affection and my worth that I find in my wife has to be underneath the worth I find in God or I'll never be a husband or a dad or a Christ follower. And so God has infinite worth to us. So when we talk about God's holiness, we're talking about his infinite attributes. He's set apart. There's none like him, right? None who have infinite character and beauty and worth. Now, so then what is glory? How does that relate? Think of it this way. Glory is, is the going public of God's holiness. It's when God's holiness projects out. This is what John Piper says. He says, it's the going public of God's glory. So think of it that way. It's the projection of, of God's holiness out into the world. That's what glory is. So then let's ask the question, well, then what does it mean to glorify God? How does that work? So think of it like this. Um, think of yourself as a mirror, and whatever means the most to you in your life is typically what you spend a lot of time focused on and facing. So that the people around you, when they look at your life, they see a reflection of what means the most to you. For example, if, if golf is one of your primary passions, and I'm not just picking on the golfers in the room, right? But if golf is one of your primary passions, the people who know you are going to see that in your life. It's going to reflect out of your life. You're going to see pieces of that if crocheting is one of your passions, Right? The people who know you best are going to know that, right? They're going to know you crochet, and, 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 and we could keep going, right? If your job is your primary passion that's got the most worth to you, you're going to be like a mirror reflecting that out. And it doesn't matter how many times you say family first. If job is coming first, people are going to be able to see that in your life reflecting. Because how do we glorify God? We stand like a mirror and behold his face, and we reflect his glory. I think there's a misunderstanding when we talk about glorifying God. We know we're supposed to glorify God, right? In everything we do, whether we work, whether we eat, whether we sleep, everything we do is supposed to glorify God. But I think that we've somehow defined the idea of glorifying God as though I make God into something that he isn't already. That's a misunderstanding. Think of it this way. This may be helpful. When you're driving down the road 
and like you're maybe a couple miles away from a water tower. How big does that water tower look? I mean, it's little, right? If I'm driving down the road, my boy's in the back seat, I'm like, hey, guys, see that water tower, you know, way out there? Yeah, Dad, how big is it? Well, Calvin, my six-year-old, he's going to go, it's that big, right? Because from his perspective, it's that big. But then we get half a mile away, and I say, Calvin, how big is that water tower? He's like, whoa, it got bigger. It's like this big. Now, if I drive all the way to the water tower and park and get out, and we walk to the foot of the water tower and we look up, now all of a sudden, the water tower looks bigger. Did it actually get bigger? No, we're just now beginning to behold, right, how big it actually is. Now take it a step further. What would happen if I dropped the ladder and me and my boys climbed to the top, right? Now our heart, like it's moving us, it's changing us, we're reacting to it, okay? So that's what it means to glorify God. We don't make him into something he isn't. We just get close enough to begin to behold how big he actually is. Like standing on the top of a water tower and our hearts begin to thump when we just begin to grasp I mean, just the, just the slightest glimpse of his infinite attributes. We begin to glorify God. I think this is what is going on in Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah is invited into this vision of the throne room of God. And, uh, and he does his best to describe it to us, what it's like. And God is on, on the throne and and, the, and, the, and the, the train of his robe is just flowing and filling up the space. And there, there are these seraphim flying. In verse 2 it says, Above him just stood these seraphim up in the air, and each had six wings. With, with two he, he covered his face. What were they doing? They were shielding themselves from what? The glory of God. Uh, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And, and one called to another and said, listen to this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. These angelic beings are there in the presence of God, right, in the midst of his glory, shielding their eyes, and their declaration is what? You are set apart, you are set apart, you are set apart. You are infinitely beautiful, you are infinitely good, you are infinitely valuable. That's who you are, God. But then look at what they say next. And the whole earth is full of his what? Glory. They're describing the goodness of God's holiness radiating out and reflecting back off of what? The earth. Just filling the earth with his glory. In Psalms chapter 19, verse 1, look at what the psalmist says. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now, when was the last time you went outside and you heard a cloud talking? What is the psalmist saying? He's describing what it looks like that the glory of God is projecting out, filling the earth. So when you and I see a beautiful sunset and its radiance, glory, and these colors, and we don't even know how to, we don't even know if it's orange or red or pink, it's so glorious, and it's, it just fades into this beautiful sky of just rich blue. You and I know that if we got on a plane and we flew to wherever that is, when we get there, the air is going to be clear, right? What is that? That means, this is what the psalmist is saying, the sky is reflecting the glory of God. When you go up outside at night, it's harder to do in the city, but out in the country, and you look up into the expanse of the sky, and you just see star after star, galaxy after galaxy, and you begin to try to imagine, how far is that? 
That's like it's almost infinitely far from me right now. What are you, what's happening in that moment is the glory of God is reflecting off of the universe to you. So the psalmist says the heavens declare, the heavens are shouting what? God is glorious. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about our lives in a similar way. He says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Now think about that. Two ways that a light works. Either you're the bulb, the source of the light, or you're the mirror reflecting the light. If I had a mirror, I could take this light and I could reflect it. That's the version that he's talking about here. Let your light, the light that that God is shining on your life, let it project out. Let it shine before others so that they may see your good works. Now let's stop for a minute. Not just works, good works. So how do I know if my works are good? Here's the difference. If I'm working in my life doing good deeds, trying to develop good habits to impress God, those aren't good works. They're they're filthy, rotten works. Good works in my life only come fueled out of the goodness of the good news of the gospel. When, when the love of Jesus so overwhelms me that it compels me to work, to serve, and, and to do things for others, that's good works. Okay, so when that happens, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in the same way that, that particles come together in the air, clear air, by the way, And somehow, from a distance, at a sunset, begin to radiantly reflect the beauty of God. So too shall your life. By the way you live, by the way you love, by the way you serve, by the way your life is compelled and fueled by the goodness of Jesus. When people see that in you, it's like a mirror reflecting the radiant glory of Christ. So how does this all come together then and end in transformation, because that's what we were talking about, right? Paul says, from glory to glory, we will be transformed. Let's put all this together in an illustration for just a minute. Make sure we're all on the same page. So I was thinking about it like this. I don't know how many of you are moviegoers, but um, a lot of of movies to watch right now. Maybe you went to a movie over the, the break. When you go to the movies and you sit in a chair, and if the movie is done really well, when you look up at the flat screen on the wall, Right, you begin to forget that that's a flat screen, and you begin to see the characters in the movie, right? If it's done really well, you begin to get lost, and you begin to watch, you know, Mel Gibson, but you're not thinking Mel Gibson, you're thinking William Wallace, Braveheart, right? And your heart begins to thump, and, but what happens at the end of the movie, after the credits roll, the lights come on, and the screen goes blank again, where did the movie go? Because well, we know what, the movie is not on, it's, the screen isn't the movie. That's just a reflection of the movie. We know that the movie's actually stored on a hard drive at the back of the room in some little closet. All of the data and content of the movie is, is there, right? And, and, and you can't just have a hard drive. You've got to have a projector to project the movie. But the projector's not the movie, is it? Because come back four hours later and you've got Despicable Me playing, and it's the same projector, same screen, but you're seeing different characters and a different story playing out. Because why? The, the, the movie is not in the screen. It's not in the projector. It's stored in the content of the hard drive. So think of God this way. God's holiness is the, his holiness is the content of who he is. It is whether you see it or not. God is holy whether you declare it with your life or not. 
God is holy whether the heavens declare his glory or not. That's the content of who he is. He can't be different from that. You can't get a different movie to play out of God. That's who he is. Glory is the projection of that. Whether it hits the screen or the back wall, or if I took a ladder at the front of the movie theater, put a ladder down, and I climbed up on in front of the screen, what's it going to do? It's going to cast a shadow on the screen, right? And then what's going to happen to me? I'm going to begin to reflect the movie in just a little small piece of it, right? You see how that works? The glory of God is the projection of God's holiness, and whatever it lands on reflects that. The, the seraphim in Isaiah 6 are saying what? The whole earth is reflecting his glory. Psalm 19 says the heavens and the sky are declaring and what? Reflecting his glory. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says, listen, my children, God's not shining his light on you to simply end with you. He's shining it on you that you would be a reflection of his glory. Now Genesis 1 begins to make sense to me. Oh, that's right. We were created in his image to do what? Reflect his glory. When people see us, they would see him. How do we do this? How do we glorify God? We talk about glorifying God. What we're essentially talking about is worship. We talk about gathering together in worship. We're talking about gathering together to glorify God. How do I do that? Do I need to get a ladder, climb up in front of God's glory and go, here I am. Look at how good God is. And notice we haven't even talked about singing yet. Although it can happen in singing, can't it? There's something powerful when God's people come together and begin to declare what? His glory. When we sing together, Jesus paid it all. That's huge. Why is it huge? Because we're declaring his glory. We're reflecting his goodness so everybody in the room can not only know it, they can know we believe it. Think of it like this. We glorify God in a similar way to the way that you will glorify the hero of any story. Any good story that has a hero and a villain, you know when it gets to that climactic point where it seems like everything is lost and the hero shows up and all of a sudden your heart is glad, right? Whether you're watching The Lion King or Braveheart, there's that moment you're like, man, Mufasa, I thought this was going to end rough, but now the hero's here and your heart's glad in that moment, right? And, and you might even begin to, oh, cheer a little bit, elbow whoever's watching, Man, he's, I love this part, you know, this is where William Wallace does his big freedom speech and you get excited and you begin to talk about it and you begin to, what, tell others. See, that's how we worship God. It starts with us positioning ourselves in such a way that we are glad in him. That we're just glad that he is, glad that he is in our life and that gladness wells up and begins to turn into what? <laughs> Cheering. So that when we come together and we sing songs, we're not just going through lip service. We're actually cheering together. Jesus paid it all. Yeah. That's exciting. And what flows right out of that is I begin to what? Tell others. He's the hero of the story. That's how we glorify God. That's how we worship God, whether it's in my singing or my praying. Think about how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or set apart be your name. Our prayer should be worship. What Paul's getting at here now in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is he says that we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image of Christ 
from one degree of what? Glory to another. The Christian life is a process. It's a journey. It's not a one-time event. Sometimes it feels like progress and regress. But ultimately, by faith, God is growing us and maturing us from infants to toddlers to adolescence to adulthood in Christ. How does that transformation happen? Not by listing out my New Year's resolutions and making, you know, making them 30 days of habits. You know, that's behavior modification. We're not talking about behaving differently. We're talking about beholding differently. And so if you want to see transformation in your life in 2018, you don't need better behavior. What you need is better beholding. So what I need. We need to see God as more glorious than we previously thought. Right? Like, like we're approaching the water tower. Some of us need to get all the way to the foot of the water tower and look up and go, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were so big, God. That's beholding. Guess what happens? We begin to be transformed. Some of us need to start climbing the ladder, right, to get to that place where our heart begins to thump and we begin to realize how stinking small we are compared to his glory, his goodness, and his bigness. True change does not happen from behaving differently. It happens from beholding differently. Let's wrap up with this thought from the Apostle Paul. I think this is what he was getting at in 1 Corinthians 13. He's teaching on spiritual giftings, but he's telling the church, he's giving some warnings and cautions. And one of those uh, is this, that he talks about how God's gifted him to prophesy, but it's not a perfect prophecy gift. He says, I, I prophesy in part right now. Here's what he says. This is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9. For right now, we know in part... And we prophesy in part. So what he's saying is, I'm not all the way to the water tower yet. I'm on my way. God's getting bigger. But I can only see God in part right now. So therefore, I prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, he's talking about the coming of Jesus where we behold the glory of God fully and finally. Guess what? The partial falls away. It will pass away. When, and then he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I gave up child, childish ways. And Paul's saying, well, listen, I'm in this growth process. I used to think about Jesus like an infant, and then I began to see him bigger, and I thought of him as a toddler. And then as I saw him as even bigger, I began to think of him as an adolescent. And then you get it, right? Look at what he says. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, talking about the coming of Christ face to face, Right now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He's talking about that process of being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Christ's follower, worship is an essential part of your spiritual growth, maturity, and transformation. I would say this, apart from worship, I'm talking about singing, apart from worship, transformation doesn't happen. True transformation does not happen apart from beholding God and in him working in us through that. Matter of fact, in, we just read in 2 Corinthians 3. How did it end? This is actually the work of the Holy Spirit in you. As you behold and you see the glory of God, the Holy Spirit works in you to transform you. You can't change you. You can't. He can. This is why as a church, gathering in worship, whether it's the singing and we're cheering God on that way or it's our prayer or it's our opening his word or it's communion or it's simply the way we fellowship with one another, that we're radiating God's glory to one another, that stirs one another up to what? Does the Bible say? Good works. 
gospel-fueled works, works that are fueled by the goodness of the gospel. And then what happens is we are transformed and we change together. And so that's the reason why the first part of our vision statement says that we are making disciples for Jesus through gathering in worship. I want to land here and invite um, our worship team to come back up. And I'm going to invite our prayer partners. Um, These are volunteers in our church who uh, enjoy praying. They're the ones who, with staff and elders, pray over all your prayer requests every week. Um, I'm going to invite our, our prayer partners to come down to the front. And they'll also be at the back. If there's anything going on in your life today and you would like for somebody to know about it and pray about that with you, while we're singing, would you come grab one of our prayer partners? And if you're here today and you have not come to that place in your life where you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, listen, I I want you to make that decision today. Would you grab one of our prayer partners? Um, We've got some prayer and counseling rooms. You guys could slip away, talk together, and pray together. I'm going to invite the rest of us in just a moment to stand and to do more than just sing. I want to invite you to stand and declare together, to proclaim together, to glorify God together by cheering for his goodness over us. Let's pray and we'll respond. Father, thank you for this beautiful reminder through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that the transformation that we all so eagerly desire is possible. Oh God, we need to hear that today. But God, it's not possible on our terms. It's not achievable in our own strength. God, this transformation comes from you and you alone. God, my prayer is this. Would you help us to behold you more deeply and more vibrantly? God, even now as we stand to sing, we pray in Jesus' name.